everyone. I am calling all parents of young women between the ages of nine and 18 or young girls that are on their way there because I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wished you could see real smiles on the face of your daughter more often or again? Maybe you've wondered why she used to love school and now she's having trouble. Or maybe you've seen some changes in her sweetness that are not so sweet anymore. And then maybe you've seen her confidence waver and you want to help her fortify that and help her prepare for her adult journey or the journey ahead in her later childhood. But no matter what, all of these have to do with self-esteem. And our young ladies today really need some big doses of the real stuff, not the social media selfie-fed self-esteem, but the real stuff that will hold her up in the challenges that inevitably are going to come and the challenges in life. So I have a parenting workshop coming up that is totally free and totally priceless. It is called Ignite Their Joy, Five Steps to Growing Your Daughter's Self-Esteem in the Tween and Teen Years. It is March 14th through 18th, and you are going to want to register for this ASAP so you can make sure you have a seat in this virtual room that has limited guest space in it. You want to go and register now. You can find it at nellieharden.com slash ignite. So that's N-E-L-L-I-E H-A-R-D-E-N dot com slash ignite all lower, uh, lowercase I-G-N-I-T-E. And so go there, nellieharden.com slash ignite to grab your seat right away. So you can have this parenting gold to help your daughter grow and ground that self-esteem starting today. You guys, I will see you there. nellieharden.com slash ignite. Go register right away. Okay, guys. See you there. Hello and welcome to the 6570 Family Project Podcast. If you are a parent of a tween, teen, or somewhere on the way, this is exactly the place for you. This is the playground for parents who want to raise their kids with intention, strength, and joy. Come and hear all the discussions, get all the tactics, and have lots of laughs along the way. We will dive into the real challenges in raising kids today, how to show up as parents and teach your kids how to show up as members of the family and individuals of the world. My name is Nellie Harden, big city girl turned small town, sipping iced tea on the front porch mama who loves igniting transformation in the hearts and minds of families by helping them build self-led discipline and leadership that elevates the family experience and sets the kids up with a rock solid foundation they can launch their life on all before they ever leave home. This is the 6570 Family Project. Let's go. Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 6570 Family Project Podcast. You guys, I have got a gem for you today. I'm so excited to welcome Linda Letterman to our community today. And I'm going to get her on in just a second, but you guys, she is a kitchen confidence coach. I didn't even know those existed. I know I could definitely use one. I tend to just eat raw because honestly, 
what is the, the meme? I ain't got time for that. Right. But she brings so much truth and honesty and fun to the conversation, not just about what you're making in the kitchen, but what, what you're doing with it right at the dinner table. I can't wait for you to listen to her. You guys, she specializes in meal planning and prep and cooking recipe development and fun family dinner conversations. You're going to love it. Uh, her story is so funny and you'll hear her talk a little bit more about it, but she was actually so bad at cooking that her own family banned her when she was a teenager and happily her skills have dramatically improved. And she now has over 1000 cookbooks. Every time I hear something like that, I'm like, where do you put them all right? But she has over 1000 cookbooks. She is a graduate of a prestigious cooking school and the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and has countless cooking uh, courses through the International uh, Culinary Center and National Gourmet Institute under her belt. She is, like I said, a kitchen confidence coach and the owner of get this fun name, Balabusta's Secret, where she helps helps busy moms with meal planning, prep, and cooking lessons, as well as coaches them on how to serve the delicious dinners with side dishes of games, clever conversations with their family. So many great gems you are going to get out of this, you guys. It is stress-free cooking, maximum flavor, uh, fun, and just yum factor, which I could always do with some fun and yum factor myself. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 6570 Family Project Podcast. I'm so excited to have this incredible guest on today, Linda Letterman. She is so amazing. I know I already told you all about her, but welcome to the show, Linda. Oh, thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, yay. Well, you guys, like I said before, she is a foodie, right? <laughs> <laughs> and all the things, absolutely. kitchen <laughs> confidence. Um, I, I love those words together because frankly, I don't have very much kitchen confidence. My kids have a lot more than I do. Um, so I often uh, snack off of their creations and I wish I had a little bit more of that myself, but we, you know, the kitchen is the main focus of so many homes, so many families. I know it is for us, even though I will, you know, probably eat raw broccoli before I make anything. Uh, but my kids make a lot of stuff and, but we still, we hang out in the kitchen and that's where a lot of our dance parties, hang, you know, uh, a lot of our conversations, all of the stuff at the end of the day, it always starts and ends in the kitchen. So tell me a little bit, Linda. So you're obviously a food and family leader when it comes to this space. Can you tell me kind of your road in order to get here and how did this all transpire for you? Absolutely. When I started my cooking career, I was in high school and it did not start off very well. I told my mom she was the most boring cook I had ever met. And she was. I mean, there was it wasn't debatable. I and can so probably said, have that title. Right. So she <laughs> said, OK, smart Alec, you know, well, you're going to do better. And she bought me at the time a book called The Joy of Cooking, which mm -hmm. was this huge, almost like an encyclopedia of recipes, but no pictures, which was really a drawback. And she said, once a week, you're going to pick a, a recipe, tell me the ingredients we need, I'll get them for you, and you cook. You think you can do better, you're on. So now the pressure was there because I had to do something that wasn't boring. And I knew nothing, literally nothing about cooking because my mom wasn't a really very good teacher. So I would pick out what I would think would be the most exotic recipes and 
The first one I tried was something called Swedish meatballs. Oh. What on earth do I know from Swedish meatballs? I know nothing. That, nothing. by the never way, is them, my favorite dish. <laughs> no kidding. It is. Well, I might take lessons for you on this one. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to make Swedish meatballs. Well, needless to say, it came out awful. I, I made a huge mess in the kitchen and I had no idea what I was doing. And my family tried to be tolerant, tried to be nice, but you know that we're going to go out and eat ice cream or something afterwards to fill themselves up. So the next week I said, all right, I'll do something else. And I tried veal cordon bleu. I don't know what it was. I didn't even know how to say it. I still don't know how to say it, but it sounded different. So I was going to try it. Well, the reviews were even worse. By the third week when I was making dinner, my family said, enough, you are now officially banned from making dinner. And that's how my career, cooking career started. I was banned from cooking in my house. And I'm not one to take no for an answer. So to me, I viewed it as game on. Now I have to be really good at this. And so I studied cookbooks. I um, went to cooking classes. Uh, in between, I became a lawyer and had a very different career. <laughs> but during that time, I really wanted to improve my cooking. And my parents were great entertainers. They didn't always cook the food, but always, always, always had people at the house. It was filled with laughter and camaraderie. And to me, that's the way a house should be. And so I really wanted to recreate that. I didn't have the wherewithal to have things catered. So I had to learn how to cook. And I did take all kinds of lessons. And I got to be, not to be modest or immodest, but I got to be really good at it. When I had kids, um, you know, you'd go to after school activities, kids would come to your house, they'd have dinner over, you'd have sleepovers, and we'd have homemade dinners, we'd play games at the dinner table, and their friends would say, my mom doesn't do this, we don't, we don't have food like this, we don't have fun at the dinner table, you know, we're eating a Subway sandwich in the car going to the next soccer, soccer game, and it occurred to me that that's not really the way things should be. And there's a lot of studies that talk about the importance of family meal time on how your kids do better in school. They're better socialized. They're less likely to abuse drugs. I mean, the list is tremendous. And I said, you know, I think there's a real need here. And so my business as Balabusta Secret uh, Kitchen Confidence Coach uh, blossomed. So where does that name come from? I love it. So balabusta is an old fashioned Yiddish term and it means a woman who makes a fine home. Mm -hmm. And my definition of a fine home is the anti-Martha Stewart. <laughs> I, you know, you have to be able to put your feet up. You have to be able to eat with your fingers sometimes, <laughs> um, but you want your guests to be comfortable. You want them to be, you want that laughter in your house. You want that conversation. You want that abundance of warmth and camaraderie. And to me, that's what a good home is. So I teach people the secrets on how to do that with ease and speed um, and a whole lot of yum and fun. Oh, I love that. So when it comes to your own kids and before we started recording, we were talking. So you have uh, two kids that are both teens, right? Yes. Okay. So when it comes to them and your family home, how has this kind of transpired and, and made a new generation of what food is and what uh, kitchen time is uh, for the next generation? You know, uh, that, that's a great question because one of the reasons I do what I do is I think it's so important for you as an individual to learn the skills so you can provide this for your family but while you do that, you're modeling it for your family so they'll know how to recreate it for theirs. 
And if you're giving your family just fast food and takeout and frozen food, where are they learning the skills? Where are they, what are they seeing is the right way to feed their family or even themselves as they grow up? So I have always incorporated my kids in my cooking since they could stand on a stool to reach a counter. And um, at this point, I had my daughter who is 16 is enrolled in a culinary program in high school. And my son is a wrestler and he likes to make a lot of his meals because obviously weight is a very important factor when you're a wrestler. And he's learned all about nutrition and he makes dinners for us in the kitchen. And so it's really a, a wonderful family affair. Oh, I love that. So it's interesting. So with, with, uh, myself, it was just my mom and I growing up. Um, and then, so it was like the frozen dinners, right. And she was single mom is, you know, all we could do McDonald's Denny's and frozen Salisbury steak, like those and oh, Mac and cheese. Can't forget the Mac and cheese. Like those were my (laughs) staples. And I still crave those today sometimes, even though, so I've been a vegetarian since, uh, 1996. I still sometimes crave frozen Salisbury steak with those like diced cubed or those, uh, tiny cubed onions on top. It's so funny. Um, but anyway, uh, when, uh, I had kids, then I really had no idea what to do with food. And I just tend to eat raw a lot of time, just raw veggies and things like that. But my kids, I homeschooled them. Um, I, I still am, I'm in my seventh year now. And my oldest was with us for four years. And then I still have the three youngest at home now. And when they, they have to take care of their own lunches, they always have since day one. And so they just got really creative and they started just getting recipes and they would just grab things. And sometimes those concoctions work and sometimes they don't, but I think it's so cool that they can, they've just been able to have free reign over the kitchen and whatever you want to do, do just please don't set it on fire. I've been through one kitchen fire before when I was little, (laughs) uh, which might be why we did frozen Salisbury steaks. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just giving them free reign over that has exploded their create their food creativity. Um, you know, especially, uh, a couple of them, my 16 year old, one of my 14 year olds, they make these elaborate dishes and they're, they got like three burners going or what have you. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, Oh, I'm, we're just making this, or I'm just doing this. And I'm like, great. Can I have some? (laughs) So it's, you know, it's, you want your kids to have those skills. And a lot of the women that I work with say that their kids are picky eaters. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I suggest is, well, take your kids grocery shopping and have them pick out something and get them invested in what the meal is going to be. And if the meal flops and we all have had meals that tanked. Sure. um, I don't say, oh, I'm sorry, that was terrible. I'm a horrible cook. I say things like, okay, would you rate this a thumbs up or a thumbs down? And if it's a thumbs down or a thumbs in the middle, I'll say, okay, well, what should I do differently next time when I make it? So I'm not giving up. I'm not telling them, okay, you win. I'll never make broccoli again. <laughs> but I'm making them think about what taste they like right. and what taste they don't like. And I get them thinking in a very creative way. And it helps me out on how to make a meal that they might like better next time. Yeah. Absolutely. And food is so, it's so cultural. It is, uh, so, uh, socioeconomic too, you know, it's so funny because 
I grew, I don't, I grew up in, you know, uh, uh, just with my Salisbury steak and Kraft mac and cheese. And then today as an adult, you go out with some friends that might've had a, a higher socio, a socioeconomic state or whatever, and they're eating fancy food. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm eating and what this fancy food <laughs> is. And it's like got a little drizzle of something on it. And I'm like, I, where's my food food, you know? And it's just so funny, but it's worth always exploring, right? Because That's you right. never know if there's going to be something there that you love. So anyway, I just, I find that I find food so fascinating in so many different regards, um, spiciness, non-spiciness, you know, uh, you're going past a, a house and you're like, Oh, that smells good. I wonder what's in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I actually stop and ask, it's, it's interesting. You said that you, you're a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. I eat fish, but I don't eat meat, mm. but my family eats meat. They eat everything under the sun. I have somebody in my family who's gluten-free, somebody who's lactose intolerant all over the board. And I don't make 50 different dinners at night. I don't really believe in that. Yeah. But if you learn how to use your flavors and you ask people, even if you're in a restaurant, you can say, wow, can you tell me, ask the chef how he made that or what he put in it? So you start getting familiar with ingredients. Or if you're traveling to a different location, whether it's another country or another part of this country, Go into markets that you're not familiar with. You can ask a butcher. You can ask the, the fruit monger, you know, tell me something here that's unusual. And what would you do with it? You can go to a farmer's market. I do it all the time and say, what is this and how would I cook it? Yeah. And that's how you can easily expand your repertoire from people who actually know what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes along with, so in the 6570 um, family project, we really talk about the one thing being um, self-discipline leadership. And that comes down to discipline, uh, vulnerability, having vision, right. And building resilience in there. And it really is kind of the one umbrella for everything we need in life. And that includes having that vision of what you want to go into in the kitchen, right. And putting things in the pot, having the resilience in case it does flop. Like you said, we've all done that. Um, and my, my kids love to make crepes. Well, it took them like, I don't even know, 20, not 20, probably 10 tries before it was, you know, edible and good. Mm -hmm. and, A lot of eggs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, just having that resilience of not giving up and the vulnerability of trying something new and the discipline to keep going. So, and, and uh, to figure out what went wrong too. Yes. You know, yes. it's, it's and that's a lesson that you use in every part of your life. You know, you just don't say, oh, I failed and never try again. You know, you become a success by analyzing what you did, what you could have done better, what maybe went wrong and what needs some tweaking. I mean, that's, that's a formula for success in anything you do. Yes, I completely agree. So in your specialty and what you do, um, first, let me ask, how do you help your clients? And, and I love the idea of kitchen confidence and you're just really helping them get in there and how, and build that, you know, discovery and vision and resilience, right? Absolutely. So I take a client where they are. Some people I work with are really good cooks, but they're tired of the same routine they have. Mm. They're limited in their recipes, they're limited in their seasonings they use or the techniques. And they say, help me expand. Mm. Other people say, I don't know how to boil water, help me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I take them where they are 
and I started the basics, you know, let's see what you have in your pantry. Let's see what kind of seasonings you have. What do you have in your refrigerator? What do you have in your freezer? Because, you know, you don't want somebody to have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on things that they may or may not use, but let's learn what you have first and see where we can expand it. Yeah. So we start there. We start with how to meal plan and everybody's definition of meal planning is different and everybody's lifestyle is different. Some people love to meal plan everything for the week on Sunday and cook everything. Personally, I can't do that, um, but I can help you if that's what your lifestyle wants, you know, and needs. Um, other people say, I just need to know two days. Fine. I can, I can teach you how to do that. I even do meal plans for people with recipes and shopping lists mm. for people who just say, just give it to me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to learn. I ain't got time for that. Right. <laughs> but if, if you learn how to cook, you learn how to do things like batch cooking because nobody wants to be cooking from scratch every day. I mean, you don't have right. the time. There's other things you'd rather be doing with your time and life is pulling you in a million directions. So one thing I teach people is how to batch cook. And an example of that is making more of something than you need at any one given meal, but that you can use another time. Now, if your family is like my family, they don't want to be eating that same excess meal for the rest of the week because you just have to shoot yourself. You'd be bored out of your mind. <laughs> so what I do is I teach people how to repurpose that leftover. Okay. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, uh, so you said you don't eat meat. So I'm going to give you a non-meat um Ooh, example okay. okay so for my meat eating kids i would make asian spicy turkey meatballs for you you'd make asian spicy tofu meatballs okay okay and it takes maybe 15 minutes to prep and i bake them in the oven on a sheet pan so there's no grease splattering anywhere and they're healthy and then i would put them with um let's say a pad thai noodle and a pad thai noodle sounds wow that's really exotic it's a rice noodle you can buy in your grocery store. To cook it, you pour boiling water over it. Not hard. <laughs> and then if you wanna make a peanut sauce, you can take whatever peanut butter you like, add a little orange juice, some fresh ginger, garlic, soy sauce. If you're gluten-free, a little tamari, boom. You got a peanut sauce, you got your noodles, and you've got your tofu meatballs to go on it. Now that's dinner number one. Dinner number two, later on in the week, is you can take those tofu meatballs, crumble them up, Take some hoisin sauce. You can buy that in any grocery store or sriracha, whatever kind of, even barbecue sauce, whatever you have. Put it on a lettuce leaf with the crumbled tofu meatballs on it. And now you have a, a lettuce taco with your toppings. You're not cooking again. You're just reusing it. And because you're using a different seasoning or sauce on it, it doesn't taste like you're eating leftovers anymore. You can make... Um, if I like to make a, a my kids like a, a chicken tiki masala. You can make it with tofu, you can make it with tempeh. And if you don't want to cook from scratch, you can buy a tiki masala sauce from Trader Joe's for pennies and saute your, your protein, add some onion, garlic, ginger, add the sauce, 15 minutes, your dinner is done. And you're gonna make a big thing of rice to go with it. You can even put spinach in the dish, you know, and just have your a one-pot meal with your side of rice. So if you have a big thing of rice and you have leftover rice, the next day you can take that already cooked rice, stuff some peppers with it. You can add whatever protein you want to your stuffed peppers. You can take that same leftover rice and make fried rice because the secret to making fried rice is the rice has got to be a day old. So instead of saying, oh, I'll never remember to make rice the day before. No, make a big batch, 
and you use the leftovers for a totally different meal the next day. So now your cooking time has been reduced tremendously. Your family's thinking you're a genius. And you're kind of like so <laughs> proud of yourself because you've saved yourself all this work and time. Wow. I love that. That's ingenious. Yeah. That's ingenious because we do get into these meal ruts, you know, where we have the same thing every single week, the same day. And, um, taco Tuesdays, you know, we have taco Tuesday every single Tuesday, but we all look forward to it for now. But it, during the pandemic, I know a lot of people got into some big food ruts too. And even, especially with going out, uh, when the pandemic first started, we were ordering Papa John's, uh, on Friday nights, uh, ordering some pizza and little did we know we would be doing that a year later because everything was still going on. We're like, okay, wait, no, we've done this 50 times. Wow. Um, we need to not do this. <laughs> yeah. So here's so here's here's some some help with those routine taco Tuesdays. So I say it's you know sometimes it's very easy if you want a meal plan to have theme nights. So Taco Tuesday would be a really great theme. But instead of making that same taco every Tuesday, one night you can make pulled not for you necessarily, but a pulled pork taco or a chicken taco or a tilapia or a shrimp taco. So it's still Taco Tuesday, but you're jazzing up the, the proteins. The proteins. Or you can change it and make your Taco Tuesday the way you like, but maybe you'll make a Mexican coleslaw to put on the tacos instead of salsa and guacamole. So you, there's little things you can do to keep within your comfort zone, mm -hmm. but make something very different. Same thing with your pizzas, your Papa John pizzas, one thing that I would suggest is, and this is, my family loves to do this. I buy um, pizza dough. You can buy pizza dough or you can even make a, buy a pizza crust, whatever you want. And we make, make your own pizzas. Mm. And I have all the fixings on my counter and everybody rolls out their pizza dough or whatever crust they're using, a cauliflower crust, it doesn't matter. And then they put it on a sheet pan with your own toppings, bake it. They make crazy shapes and nobody says it's gotta be round and everything's individualized. So if somebody wants pepperoni and you just want mushrooms and onions, go for it. Yeah. You know, and now you're not spending a mint on 50 different pizzas and you're having your kids participate in the kitchen and you can make it into a contest. Who can make the funniest shape? Who can guess what shape you're trying to make? You know, it's, there's a million things you can do to make it fun. Yeah, no, I agree. And we we've done that one before and it is so fun um, in order to everyone can just make whatever they want. And uh, yeah, we've had some pretty interesting creations happen before. Um, okay. So it, uh, the importance you touched on it a little bit earlier uh, and about the family dinner table and what that looks like and how it's made a priority and why it should be such a priority to at least have this time every day. And a lot of people find mealtime because you usually sit down uh, in order to eat. That is an easy time to pick that everyone can get together. But tell me a little bit about how you work with families with the dinner table. Sure. You know, oftentimes by the time you sit down for dinner, you as a parent, you're spent. You know, you've done whatever you had to do during the day, whether you're working, volunteering, doing things in the house, schlepping your kids, whatever you're doing. And then you said, oh, my God, now I got to figure out what to make for dinner. And then you make the dinner. And the last thing you want to do is be nice. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you just want to hide. 
So that's not a really good way to have a successful dinner. I just have to say. So you could think in advance what you can do to have a successful dinner. You know, I always tell my kids, if you're going to have company over, or if you're going to go over somebody's house, it's always a good social skill to think of things you want to talk about or games you want to play or do something like that. So I give that same advice to the people that I work with. And I say, there's so many ways that you can have a conversation that doesn't start with how was your day? What did you learn in school? Because inevitably your kids are going to say, it was fine. What did you learn? Nothing. What did you do? <laughs> Nothing. Eight hours. My tax dollars that work. Nothing. <laughs> you know, it, it's not a good way to have a meal uh, at any stretch you imagine. So I teach parents how to play games at the table. Mm. And there's tons of games you can play um, that people of any age can play. I also tell them that um, you can tie in a food theme to your meal. An example of that is there used to be a marketing agency in California. And on top of their building, they had this hideous, huge, maybe 10, 15 foot tall statue, the body of a human, like a lumberjack body. And the top was a chicken head. Hideous from miles around. You can see just this hideous statue. Well, the town eventually started to really like it because it was so hideous. And then one day, you know, the marketing company either moved or went belly up and somebody bought the building and they wanted to take down that statue of the chicken boy. And the town was incensed. You can't do that. That's our beloved chicken boy. And they actually rallied to get the funds to take it off the building and put it in a park, a local park, so it could be celebrated. And they made Chicken Boy Day an official local holiday. Oh, so things like word. September 5, Chicken Boy Day. So one of the things I do with my clients is I find out what interesting holidays are coming up for the week. And they're all stupid. You know, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're fun. That's the whole idea is to have fun. And so let's say it was Chicken Boy coming up. I'd say, okay, Chicken Boy's coming up. Let's think of like two or three chicken recipes you want to make. And now let's think about the conversations you could have about Chicken Boy Day. And, you know, you're going to explain what Chicken Boy Day is. And then you could have conversations like, well, if you were half boy or girl, whatever you are, and half animal, what would that other half be? Mm. And why? Would you have any superpowers? What could you do that you couldn't do as a kid? Now you're sparking creativity, a thought process. You're making dinner really, really interesting because nobody's talking about what they learned in school, but you're learning about your kid and how they think and what they aspire to. You could change a conversation. You could say, all these people just saved their money to donate to get this as part of a park. What in your childhood is so precious that you'd never want to part with and why? And it may not be the obvious answer that you think it is. So now you, again, you're talking about conversations, you're getting things going. Um, so I, when, I, when we talk about things to do at the table, in addition to games, I give examples of what they could be talking about. It could be food related. It could be current events related. Uh, April is National Poetry Month. And so one day I told my family, you know, April's National Poetry Month. And, you know, you can groan because you've got teenagers. <laughs> the last thing they ever want to hear about is National Poetry Month. Even my husband. Oh, please, she's at it again. But, you know, they humor me because it always ends up fun. So, you know, they have to participate. So I said, so when you come down to dinner tonight, I want you to bring a poem. Oh, my God, you could have heard the groaning in Peoria. So I said, but don't be so limited in your thinking. 
A poem doesn't have to be roses are red, violets are blue or a Shakespeare sonnet. A poem <laughs> could be rap lyrics. Yeah. It could be a TV jingle. It could be anything, songs to whatever you like. It's all poetry. If you come down and think about it, I said, you can write your own, you can bring down whatever you want. Just please come down to dinner with a poem. So my son came down. He said, oh, ma, I wrote my own poem. And it was a poem on I Hate Poetry. And we were <laughs> racking up. It was hysterical. My daughter came with some silly little jingle because, you know, she couldn't be bothered. But she came down with something. My husband wrote a rap song that was so hideously obnoxious and funny that when people come over, he says, hey, did you know I wrote a rap song? Can I sing it for you? And he takes out his sheet of paper and he's still proud of it. So you never know what comes out of these kinds of things. And it makes dinner memorable. You know, my my son um, brought a girlfriend home for dinner recently. And I said to her, did Max tell you that we play games at the dinner table? And she said, yes, he did. And I said, did he tell you that we expect you to play too? And she said, yes. So we played these games and it broke the ice and it wasn't like looking at her and saying, and what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, <laughs> it, just, it was a great way to laugh and get to know somebody and feel comfortable. And my kids always say, even, you know, they're teenagers now and they still say, what are we going to play at dinner tonight, Ma? Can I pick the game? Hmm. So they want to come, they want to be part of the meal, they want to be part of that family experience. It gets rid of all the stress you have during the day. You know, sometimes you want to talk about serious things and they obviously feel more comfortable doing it at a dinner table because it's a safe place. And everybody needs a place where they can vent, where they can feel relaxed, where they can be themselves, whether it's being foolish or being serious. And the dinner table is an ideal place for that. Yeah, wow. I think that is a tremendous takeaway, our games at the dinner table. I think that's fantastic. Well, is before we get going, because I think you've shared so much wisdom on here today, but before you get going, is there any like quick tips or meal prep ideas that you have that our listeners can go ahead and take from this uh, right away? Besides, I'm going to go find a game for the dinner table tonight. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My, my big advice is, Stop putting so much pressure on yourself. It's mm-hmm. only food. You know, it's really only food. And instead of feeling bad about a meal that you make, if it doesn't come out right, make a family story about it. It's okay to be the butt of the joke if you're willing to have fun with it. So mm-hmm. if you take the pressure off of preparing family meals, now you feel more empowered to be creative. Start small. Nobody says you have to make those Swedish meatballs because God (laughs) knows what I was thinking. But you could take a piece of chicken and you could say, how could I flavor it a little differently? You could learn the tricks on cooking that chicken faster. So instead of cooking a um, whole chicken breast and waiting your 35, 40 minutes, if you slice it, it will cook much faster and dinner will be done in 15. So if you can learn the tricks to make it faster and more enjoyable, learn some new seasonings, learn how to make spice blends in advance. So you just have to take it out of your pantry Mm. and put it on your main dish instead of where's that garlic and where's, you know, oh my God, I bought 17 things of onion salt because I keep forgetting I own it. You know, when you add a little bit of organization, a little planning, life becomes easier. Cooking becomes more of an adventurous 
fun thing to look forward to instead of the don't ask me what's for dinner time kind of attitude. So start small, start with little, little changes and get your confidence. And as you get more confidence, you can experiment, experiment a little bit more. Things will come quicker to you because you start to know what you're doing. They'll become easier for you and they'll become more delicious and more fun. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on here. And before you leave, I wanted, I want you to be able to tell the listeners where we can find you. Sure. I have a Facebook group called easy weeknight dinners for busy moms. And I share recipes and humor and all kinds of wonderful things that everybody needs to have. It's part of the routine. I have a Facebook page, Balabusta's Secret. I have a website, balabustasecret.com. You can reach out to me if you have any kind of cooking questions, either notes to this podcast or send me an email at linda at balabustasecret.com. And I do have an offer for those who are listening. There is um, an ebook you can get called, um, I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long day. This happens to us all. But it's something like time, uh, sanity saving tips for busy moms. So um, in that, you'll get some sample pantry lists to have, some sample quick games to play at your table, um, and a couple of quick tipping uh, cooking tips. Wonderful. And all of that will be in the show notes, but for someone listening, I just want to hear you spell Balabusta real quick. Oh, sure. (laughs) B-A-L-A-B-O-O-S-T-A apostrophe S secret. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Linda. This was amazing. Uh, A lot of fun. I wish everybody happy cooking and please send me pictures of what you're cooking and join my groups and you're not alone. Let's make it a nice community and have a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you were able to take something from our discussion that you can use to build the foundation of self-led leadership in your own family. If you are a parent with children 17 or younger, and especially those around nine and up, I would love to extend an invitation to you to the best club in town. The Family Architects Club is a private club where intentional parents go that want to love, support, connect, or reconnect, and really truly help guide their kids and teach them how to self-lead in discipline and leadership. This is an online community and you are welcome to it. Parenting is a project and you are the architect of this one. You plan, you design, and oversee the construction of the beginning of someone else's life. And that's what goes into these first 6,570 days, and it will be the foundation for the rest of their lives. So come join the club. You can find your invitation on the front page of my website, NellieHarden.com. That is N-E-L-L-I-E-H-A-R-D-E-N.com. Thank you again for being a part of this conversation today. And if something really resonated with you, or if you have a question, please don't hesitate to connect with me. You can find me on Instagram at Nellie Harden. And lastly, if you loved the information, please, please leave a five-star review and a comment so more and more families can be impacted by harnessing the strength of these ideas and tools in their own families. So thank you so much. Happy building, you guys, and I'll see you next week.